With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 101st episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website, and then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. Thank you to all my listeners everywhere in the world. I sincerely appreciate you in all of the 70-plus countries where you're located, and thank you for listening and sending all your messages. Keep them coming. I find them so interesting and helpful. I sincerely hope that you are all doing well. My July Privacy Professor Tips message was published on June 29th. Sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com or privacysecuritybrainiacs.com and submitting your email in the box on your screen. They are free as always. So now to our show. I'm so excited for it. A little bit of background first. You know, I own thousands, possibly tens of thousands of books. When I see a book that looks interesting, I think, you know, I'm going to get that and I'm going to read it someday. I still have possibly tens of thousands of books on my bookcases to read. Yes, uh, Sundoku, right? One book that I have done a preliminary skim through, though, is one that intrigued me so much that I knew I just really had to speak with the author. And so a little background on that. The first sentence in the book is, your voice is unique. Now, just those four words took me back in time to late 1996, when I was responsible for information and network security and privacy at a Fortune 200 corporation. As part of my responsibilities, I evaluated and validated the security capabilities of some of the new types of caller identify, uh, identification systems that we were trying out way back then. Now, there were six young men from the IT research and development department who I was working with, and they were convinced that the new and at uh, the time uh, called the Bell South voice portal, or VAL, VAL for short, would be the answer to all our needs. Now, they had each tested the product, and it worked perfectly for them after they each said the voice identification phrase 10 times, and that system 
then had them uniquely identified in the system. Well, before I even started to test the security and privacy capabilities, I wanted to see what would this do with my voice? Because my voice wasn't like their voices. Seems logical, right? I wanted to make sure the product would work with my voice and then, you know, maybe it would work with all the 20,000 plus people in the corporation. Well, after making 110 voice identification recording attempts, 110, the system still could not uniquely identify my voice. So, you know, I knew, as the rock band Kansas would say, I had reached the point of no return with regard to testing out the system. The system would not work in our diverse corporation if it could not even work for my voice. So, oh my, how times have changed over the past 26 years. Did you know that now... There are many different tools and artificial intelligence or AI capabilities to not only collect recordings of you in places you likely don't even know about, but then to identify your voice that, you know, we couldn't even do successfully back in 1996 at that corporation. But now it goes way beyond that. It goes to analyzing your voice and then providing many, many additional insights and claimed facts, if you will, about who you are as an individual based solely upon voice analysis and some of the associated metadata that comes along with those recordings. And then these insights are used to make what what could be life altering decisions for, you know, who knows, maybe millions of people around the world. Certainly also, it brings in many privacy issues involved with these practices. Well, I am so happy today to be speaking with the researcher and author of that book, which starts with, Your Voice is Unique. Today, my guest is Professor Joseph Turo from the University of Pennsylvania's Annenberg School for Communication. Dr. Turo is the author of over 150 articles and books, including The Voice Catchers, How Marketers Listen In to Exploit Your Feelings, Your Privacy, and Your Wallet. And that's where that first sentence appears. Now, in the book, Dr. Turo covers a wide range of ways that technology is analyzing voices that marketers and others are then subsequently using to make decisions and maybe labeling people in ways that could impact their lives, you know, our lives in significant ways. Joe, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Rebecca. I well, appreciate it. Well, it's so great to have you here because this, you know, this is a something I've been worrying about for a long time for various reasons. I wonder, though, you know, what led you to research voice intelligence in the first place? Well, it's an interesting question. I've been doing this kind of work for about 20 years. My first book on uh, privacy and marketing was in the mid-1990s. Uh, but I began, and so I've 
I wrote a whole variety of studies on different aspects of privacy. And I, when I finished my prior book, which was about how supermarkets and department stores track what we're doing in the physical stores like they do of people online, I said to myself, you know, the problem is I'm writing about things that already are pretty well gelled. Um, not much has changed since I wrote that book. I mean, they haven't stopped even though I was condemning what some of these places were doing. I said, let me try something that is emerging. And just around the time that I finished that previous book, uh, which was, uh, it was published in 2017, more and more I began to see uh, Alexa, the Echo, and the Google Home, and, and some of Siri's work as a potential area of controversy. And mm -hmm. so I followed up on it, and uh, by the time it was published, you could see that this thing was really moving ahead. It, it's part of a larger topic, too, which maybe we can get into, which is biometrics and mm. the ways in which our bodies increasingly are being looked at by marketers um, because they're running out of other ways to look at us. And yes. that is a whole new era. Yes. Oh, yes. We'll definitely get to that. And, you know, it's interesting you brought up the Alexa and, you know, the Alexa Echo and all that. I actually have one because I do research with it, mm -hmm. but I keep it unplugged all the time unless I'm actually doing research. And when I plug it in and try to, you know, try different phrases, I get so frustrated with it. And I actually start arguing with uh, Alexa because it's That's like, start listening to me. That's very, yeah, they're actually pretty stupid. <laughs> and, and it, it the, you know, smart speakers being stupid. The thing is, it's early days. Yes. I mean, the whole idea of trying to understand what a person is really asking in t context is very, very difficult for computer people. Uh, it's, it's much easier, for example, there's a company called Nuance which does a lot of work in this area. And they spun off their automotive thing, if you want to talk about that a bit, called Serence now. Uh, but they're focused primarily on general speech, but particularly on, for example, helping doctors to uh, speak about, um, um, say, ophthalmology after they've done an operation. It's a lot easier for nuance to focus on that because there's a limited number of professional words. When you're dealing with the world as a whole and you're asking questions that could be anything, that's really tough. And that's what uh, Alexa and you know Amazon and, and Google have to contend with. Um, but it also raises, as you pointed out, really interesting privacy and surveillance uh, questions. Um, one day, about three weeks ago, I was, um, you know, the typical question I ask, and my wife too, is, uh, what's the weather today? You mm -hmm. know? And we have an Alexa and we have a Google. And I was talking to Alexa. I said, Alexa, what's the weather today? And it said to me, the weather, and it was cold. And finally, I just said, Alexa, what should I wear? <laughs> and and it said, what was really interesting, it said, it gave me women's clothes. Mm. And I said, Alexa, who am I? And it said, you're Joe, but the owner of this is Judy. <gasps> so it had some, some instruction that said the way to answer the question of clothing and fashion is through this woman, even though this guy... Um, 
uh, is asking you the question. I can't understand why that is, but that has been consistent. I've tried that a number of times. Oh, it's my gosh. It, well, well, that shows, you know, the importance of those artificial intelligence algorithms being accurate, right? And that's something, you know, that's kind of what I do in the the technical aspect. And it's like, those those algorithms, I have never seen a, a really thorough vetting of how they're accurate. It seems like they're just kind of throwing a, you know, a dart in the dark. Well, this is a very big topic among computer scientists today, sociologists and communication researchers. Uh, one book with a great title is Algorithms of Oppression. Mm. And the the whole idea of what does it mean to be interrogated essentially by a machine that is looking at you from a particular point of view. Uh, it raises some very difficult questions about uh, how we define ourselves and how others define us, which is really at the heart of this book, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't wait till I dig deep into the details after I speak with you, because <laughs> I, I'm one of those skimmers who first I go to the. It internet. sounds that way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how your floors can accommodate that many books, Rebecca. Well, I, I live in a big old house, so that helps. Okay. But, um, so let's go back. What you, you, you hit on two things with two examples of devices. Uh, well, one was a specific type of device or technology, and the other was within a certain industry, but the Sarens. I'm interested in that. I've actually done a show on IoT used in transportation mm -hmm. and within you know, vehicles and even smart roads. But you mentioned, was it Sarens? Oh, Sarens. Sarens. Yes. C-E-R-R-A-N-C-E. Okay. That is a spinoff from Nuance. I have no idea why they called it Sarens. It's now based in Europe, I believe Paris. Uh, and it is the automotive, essentially, spinoff from uh, Nuance, which is now very much into the idea of monetizing people's voices, according to the chair of the company. Uh, you know, the, the car is going to become a, a marketing phenomenon, too, much more than it has been. We've had radio in cars, obviously, f since the 20s. But uh, increasingly, personalization and the car will will converge uh, in a marketing area just like it is online. So is this Serence, is this something that is like being built within the cars as they come out of the factory or is it exactly oh. there are a number of uh, companies that are struggling with each other to be the company that that takes hold of a car's environment uh, you can have it is possible and many of your listeners probably do this you come into your car you connect either bluetooth or hardwire with your phone uh say it's a it's a it's an apple and so you see the Apple um, device mirrored on your display. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to have the, the actual program in the car. That is, when you purchase the car, it comes with, say, Apple uh, devices or it comes with, uh, with Amazon or Google. That's another way. And so when you turn that on, you don't have to connect your phone directly. It, it just has it. A third way is to make those devices deep into the technology of the car. And this is what 
companies like Google and Amazon are really trying to get into now, and Serence is doing this already, which is not only just for video and uh, audio activities, but also things like telling you the fuel, how much fuel you have left, uh, mm -hmm. telling you how much uh, how your oil is, and and getting into the nitty gritty of the the actual car engineering. Uh, and companies like Google are very interested in doing that. Oh, I bet. Well, and from a marketing, you know, which is one of the the big areas that you look at in your book, I, I believe. Yeah. Um, it seems like, gosh, so if they're listening to what's being talked about in the car, in addition to monitoring the technical aspects of the car that oftentimes even the owners aren't aware of, that's where you can get, you know, offers for changing your oil or maybe new tires and things like that. That's exactly right. And it's not clear what the uh, regulations are going to be around this by the car companies themselves mm -hmm. and by the governmental regulators. Um, presumably, if you consent to it, in quotes, um, that will be okay. But a lot of times, and we can get into this discussion, people have no clue what they're consenting to, really. Yes. I was talking to someone uh, who is in this business when I was writing The Voice Catchers, and um, he pointed me toward a Wall Street Journal article. And I think he knew this himself. He was working for Nuance at the time. Um, uh, Google was trying to make a deal with Volvo to be one of the, the companies that actually gets into the guts of the car. They were trying to make that deal. And he said that what Google tried to do, apart from the display and some of the other technologies, they wanted to actually put a sensor in the back seat of the car to figure out how heavy the people are in the back seat. <gasps> so they could infer whether there are kids back there or adults back there and presumably use marketing techniques to reach them. Now, as you say that, coming from a systems engineer um, perspective, I'm thinking there's so many ways that could go wrong. Just, <laughs> you know, just looking at weight, because what if you have other things on your of seat or, or I have a large Doberman? Right. What if my Doberman's in the back seat? Yes, exactly. I mean, now, presumably, then you would have microphones <laughs> that what? would catch a dog going, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is bizarre. And but it, it shows you the lens to which some marketers are interested in going to try to track what we do and increasingly under that sort of rubric of consent so that the, even the GDPR can't go against them. Yes. And, you know, Mike, when you say that too, another issue I always uh, look at is where is that consent? At what point in time is that consent being made even? I mean, is it when you sign the papers to purchase the car? Yes, sometimes it is actually. Exactly. Uh, Believe it or not. Wow. And it's then when you're signing the papers, there's a little statement, at least in, in today's world. We'll see yeah. how that changes. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, well, it's fascinating. Great. Yes. Well, and it's kind of deceptive, right? I mean, I want that new car because it looks cool and I want to drive it because I'm, you know, I don't want this old car anymore. And so most people are going to just sign whatever they put in front of it, especially sometimes when it's online, how many people are actually reading things before right. they agree. Well, we find that I, I've also done several surveys, about nine of them, 
of the American population since 1999 through major, major um, uh, polling companies. I I don't just call people on the phone. These are serious American surveys. And we find that most Americans have a very small sense of what really goes on behind the screen. Um, They know that they're being tracked. But when it comes to the particulars of what happens, it's uh, there's very little knowledge of this. Uh, In fact, most Americans don't even understand what the phrase privacy policy means. Mm -hmm. We found several times in different surveys, I think five now, that if you ask a person true or false, when a website has a privacy policy, it means the the website won't share your information with other companies without your permission. And most Americans still say that's true. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, and I've analyzed a lot of privacy policies, and I call most of them, or a lot of them, anti-privacy policies. Yes, right. They make it sound often in the first paragraph that they care about privacy, but the more you read, the more you realize it's just the opposite. And uh, they're also hard luck contracts. I mean, they they you really have little that you can do if you disagree, except to not go on that site. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I want to get to something else, too, that you mentioned kind of in passing, but it caught my ear Um, when you're talking about in the car, not only the sensors and the sounds and the the conversations and voices, but I think I heard you say um, video that sings. So are you saying that there's also now plans or currently like even video of the inside of the cars? Well, there are cameras all around the car now and increasingly companies want to put them inside the car. So for example, Nuance, um, I should say Serence, has a a camera that looks at the driver uh, Uh and depending upon where your eyes go, it will actually... um, help you understand supposedly what stores are nearby. So, you know, you can look outside in a certain direction and it will tell you that's where the drugstore is. Or you can say, I'm interested in that place. What is it? I mean, it's getting very sophisticated. So, and there are some ways, I believe Serence is involved with a, 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 another company out of, that was spun off from MIT, uh, which will Affectiva it's called. And what they do is they listen to your voice and they listen and they look at your face with a camera to decide whether you're tired or not. Mm. And then they try to encourage you to stop uh, and do something like that. The Volvo does it by time, which is weird. My wife has a Volvo and and every I can't figure out exactly when they do it. But when I'm taking a long trip, it'll say something like time for some coffee. (laughs) It'll write it out. But in the newer uh, version of this, it will actually listen to you and look at you and decide. Yeah. And oh, my gosh. And the mistakes that can be made with that. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, each person is unique. So um, uh, and then just, I guess, with the marketing aspect, I mean, there's so many different aspects, but. What have you seen in your research then how marketers, we, we've talked about maybe suggesting that they stop for coffee. I don't know. I, I guess they might suggest a specific place like, oh. <laughs> they could. Exactly. That's the whole point. Yeah. See, the, the, um, the whole idea is to try to understand how you live your life. 
mm-hmm. increasingly personalizing the information they have about you, and then deciding based upon that what kinds of uh, suggestions to make. Um, whether it's accurate or not is clearly that may be important to us. But the more important point is that it's done. Yes. It may not be accurate, but the company may act as if it's accurate and may treat you in certain ways. For example, decide to give you a discount and me no discount. Decide yep. to give you a Tiffany ad and I get K Jewelers. <laughs> so depending on how they think about us uh, and thereby there's discrimination as well, mm-hmm. you get into problems. Well, and not only that, I guess when you're talking about this, what happens then if an accident occurs or let's say the wheel falls off the car mm-hmm. and what if that, you know, those recordings are analyzed and they say, well, it wasn't the car's fault. It was the person driving because we see here that that person did not, you know, they talked about the need to, mm-hmm. you know, inflate their tires or replace them, but they never did. Well, so. that's a very important point. And this is a whole, it's not my area of expertise, but certainly you've seen how insurance companies now are encouraging people to put devices in their cars that track how they're driving. Mm-hmm. And they say you can get a discount if you do that. Of course, that's only if you're a good driver. <laughs> if you're a bad driver, they may not give you that discount. They may even increase it, the cost. So, yeah, uh, yeah the, the, basically we're talking about an increasing world of surveillance across all domains here. And if yeah. you get into countries like China, for example, that goes beyond um, the domain of marketing into the domain of, of even oppression. Yes, let's pick up there. Right now, it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. But I'm speaking today with Dr. Joseph Turo, professor, researcher, and author of The Voice Catchers, How Marketers Listen In to Exploit Your Feelings, Your Privacy, and Your Wallet. I'm Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com and also through PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs Visit PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com. You 
are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. I'm speaking today with Dr. Joseph Turow, professor, researcher, and author of The Voice Catchers, How Marketers Listen In to Exploit Your Feelings, Your Privacy, and Your Wallet. So, Joe, right before we went to break, you started to talk about how, um, you know, in the automobiles and how that data is used, you started to talk about what is being done in China right now? Yes, not just in automobiles. Though I have read, there was an article I read a few days ago about how the Chinese government is maybe enforcing certain kinds of uh, microphones or trackers on people's car windows in order to to make sure, I think they were trackers, to sort of make sure they could follow people if they needed but the larger point is that the Chinese government is using um, video signals and even, as I understand it, voice signals to, for example, track the Uyghurs, uh, where there's a lot of discrimination against them in, in mm. northwest China and even uh, so-called re-education camps. A lot of people are uh, – there. there's actually software that um, video cameras look at them and decide whether they're so-called Uyghurs or Han or, or Han Chinese, and uh, the um, that really distinguished to some extent decides whether the Chinese government is going to go after them. Um, there, it's it's kind of interesting and ironic because if you look at the Chinese government's regulations about marketing and privacy, mm-hmm. they're actually pretty strong. I mean, their websites and other companies are not allowed to keep data for certain amounts of time. They have to tell people what they collect. I mean, they're they're almost as good as the Europeans and maybe better than the Americans. The problem is that in the back end, the government has the right to see all the data. So uh, while it sounds like it's a great privacy policy from a marketing standpoint, um, at the same time, the government takes control of those data if, if it wants to. So it's probably analyzing, uh, like you said, not only what people look like, but also just um, in their algorithms, probably how they sound and making assumptions about, um, you know, who they are um, based upon maybe how the inflection of their voice sounds. And- yes. With, uh, for example, with Uyghurs, do they sound like Uyghurs? Are they talking with that kind of accent? Exactly. Um, and this can be used in so many ways in, in, uh, the U S there's been discussion of using voice for, uh, immigrants, for example, so-called illegal immigrants deciding where they come from. Uh, what does the voice tell you? Uh, in American prisons, there's some interesting controversy about people who are incarcerated. Um, you know, they're allowed to make a certain number of phone calls. Uh-huh. And if you're a, uh, a sort of an incarcerated individual and you make a phone call, they will – a lot of prisons today, like in New York State, will listen to your voice and decide if it's really you. And the reason they do this – 
comes from a good place. A lot of prisoners are um, are forced to give out their their phone ID to other prisoners. They're kind of like bullied into it. And so those people have the ability to make more phone calls under other people's names. So the notion is to listen to the signature of the person's a voice signature to make sure it really is that person. The problem is that on the other end, they're also catching the signatures, the voice prints of people whom they talk to. Yeah. And that may not be legal, see? And do people who are talking to these incarcerated persons really want to have their voices uh, preserved like that? So there's a lot of interesting questions about uh, how do we deal with with voice uh, in areas of immigration, in areas of uh, incarceration, and other parts of our world? Yes. And, you know, I want to bring up another area, too, because on one of my other shows, one of the things I also do is I'm an expert witness in different cases for mm. security and privacy. And two of them have been for IoT uh, tracking people and hunting them down, basically, and assaulting them through IoT. And and um, they have been always involved the call centers. And um, uh, what's disturbing is how the call centers in one of the cases simply ignored what the ultimately the victim was saying about her concerns and her fears about somebody tracking her. Wow, so, you mean like 911? Calls. Well, no, it was too. So, like on her car, it had built in uh-huh. voice control, and yeah. she had a portal she could get into. And she thought somebody was getting into her portal, even though she mm. even asked the call center to disable it. She said, "I don't want this because my my uh, former uh, partner, I think, is getting in there." And ultimately, he was. He was social mm. engineering, but you know, through the case. I showed where they just completely ignored her request. And when I listened to it, to my ears, she sounded frantic. She sounded scared. So, you know, I know you've done some um, research into contact centers. So this, when you uh, talked about that, it it made me think of this case because it's like, why are they ignoring her? You know, when she she sounds so, uh, you know, concerned. It's really weird. Yeah, I I can't speak to that, but I can tell you that there's a whole industry growing, which I call the voice intelligence industry. Intelligence meaning like spying intelligence. And Mm -hmm. the smart speakers are part of it. But at the ground floor of that business are uh, contact centers. In the U.S., there are 800 numbers, you know, which you can Mm. call for free and complain, for example, or ask questions about a particular product. And what a lot of these call centers are doing now is they're contracting with companies that will listen to your voice and Uh decide what your emotions are. Mm. And based upon your emotions and other things that they know about you, past purchases, they will triage you to an agent who is supposedly good speaking with that kind of emotion person and upselling them and, and convincing them to be satisfied and all. So basically they're using, they're, they're profiling your voice, they're inferring from your voice what your emotions are. And based upon that, sending you to a person who's supposedly good with people with those emotions in order to get the job done quicker, better, more efficiently, and even make money off of it. Interesting. And so you say a lot of contact centers are now. Yes, doing that. And, uh, 
you know, the people I spoke to when I was writing the book who are scientists, there's a whole science actually behind uh, voice inference. And, and it's very serious stuff. Ironically, they, the people tell me that emotions are probably the least predictive because um, they're more culturally biased. You know, mm-hmm. there may be some frequency in the voice that implies something's going on, but to tag it angry or frustrated or something like that may be too culturally biased. But people I spoke to in articles I've read uh, will tell you, for example, that voice can tell people how tall you are, how what your what? race is, what your how age tall is. you are? Yes. Not only that, this is going to really freak you out. Yeah. Supposedly... It will tell you whether you are on birth control pills within a month after taking it. Oh my God! How your voice, and in fact, even uh, how you sound with certain diseases. Um, supposedly, uh, a voice analysis can say there's a company in Israel, uh, Vocalis Health, which actually was trying to uh, infer whether a person had COVID based on how that person was speaking. And they claimed that they had a 90-some-odd percent success rate. Now, I don't know anything about how that really worked out and whether anybody's been using it, even in Israel. But but there there is this whole research enterprise that is using the voice. And companies have begun to see this. Uh, Spotify got a patent uh, a year ago that... Uh, said that it was able to, if you ask Spotify to play certain kinds of music, mm-hmm. by the voice, it could make certain kinds of ideas about who you are based upon your emotions, your ethnicity, and other aspects. And in fact, there was a, an international uh, petition to Spotify to, to say, we don't want you using this patent. <laughs> and not only that, we don't want you selling the patent to anybody. And I was part of the petition, but in the end, the chair of Spotify, which is based in Sweden, uh, refused. He said, "We're not doing this now," but refused to uh, to say that he would never do it or never sell it. So there are all these things out there. We're in the very, very beginning of a new world, this biometric yes. world that's facial, that's that's uh, a vocal, and so many other aspects to it. The, uh, there are people who do research on the way you walk and what that says about you, the way your hands move. Um, Mm -hmm. It it is pretty astonishing. And marketers who are frustrated with a lot of the the sort of things that are going on in the new digital world that they they don't believe they can get as much out of the traditional categories as they thought they could, are looking Mm -hmm. for new ways. Yes. And you know what concerns me too? I mean, when you talk about even you know, 90% accurate when probably when uh, marketers hear that, they probably think, wow, that's really great. But when I hear that, I'm thinking, well, that means 10% of people are having mistakes made, assumptions made about who they are and how is that impacting them? And that could be a lot of people. And not only that, even if it's accurate, let's say it's accurate. There may be some things about you you don't want other companies to know, other people to yes. know about you. And right. you you know, you know, have a right to a certain kind of uh, biological privacy, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, the fact that just because you say something, uh, a company can somehow 
decide what you are, you should have a right to say, I don't want you to do this. And more and more states, for example, in the U.S., are putting biometric laws into effect. In mm-hmm. in uh, Illinois, there is a pretty tough one. But it's all on the context of consent. If you consent to do this, then the companies can do it. Yes. Well, before we, I want to get into the, the consent issues. But before that, I want to go back to those biometrics. Because, you know, we talked about the voice and even, you know, faces. But then you mentioned hands. So mm-hmm. that's kind of intriguing with to me because, you know, looking at people's hands, uh, what what do they use the hands? Because I look at mine and, you know, I'm someone who's I've always done a lot of outdoor things and I have really short fingernails and there's I don't wear jewelry. So it's like they probably think differently about me then than if they see someone else who has long fingernails that and no, you know, scars on their hands and things like that is... I have no question that that is one way that you could look at it, but consider how you move your hands when you speak. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the old stereotype of, say, Italian mothers who move their hands very frantically and things like that versus some people who are more cool with the use of their hands. I, I have no idea, but I can imagine that one can try to make some inferences about people based upon that. Uh, And even giving up your blood and your saliva, uh, you can find out about a person's health background and say, well, if you give us this stuff, we can tell you uh, what kind of drugs to take and and how to be more healthy, and we'll give you discounts. And if you consent to this, and I just wonder how many people would really say, fine, you know, give me some benefits and I I can't do anything about my life anyway. It's kind of everybody has control over me anyway. So let me, you know, let me make some money off of it. So when when you're talking about providing blood samples and saliva, I mean, you're talking about people who are outside of healthcare, right? You're talking. Oh, yeah. So what what kind of. Most people don't realize, Rebecca, that. Uh, HIPAA, for example, the uh-huh. in the U.S., which is the kind of privacy orientation around health, yep. doesn't apply to marketing. Right. So if you if you buy a non-prescription drug in a supermarket, the supermarket can sell the fact that you bought that. They yep. can create profiles about you based upon that. Uh, if you go to a website that's a a so-called health website and you click on ads, even if the site said that they won't sell your your uh, information, the second you click on an ad about diabetes, for example, the company knows that you have an interest in diabetes because of you or some relative, and they can use that information. Yes, and you know, HIP is one of my areas of expertise, so just for the listeners to clarify, if it's a healthcare-covered entity or business associate who's they can't use your health data that's considered PHI under HIPAA to do marketing, but outside of healthcare, that's where you're talking about. Yes. They aren't covered by HIPAA if, if you know, and, but a lot of people think HIPAA covers everyone. In fact, we've even heard politicians when they're asked questions, mm. you know, I heard, and I won't say the person's name because mm. it was so ridiculous, <laughs> but, you know, they ask if that person, that person, if, they had gotten a COVID shot, a reporter, 
and and the person said, "Oh, you can't ask me that. You're violating HIPAA." Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Wrong. So so yeah. So with regard to like, do you have examples outside of healthcare then where people actually have provided like their blood sample or saliva? Uh, for non-healthcare purposes? Well, I don't know about that, to be real honest, but I do know that it's a possibility. And I suspect that down the line, somebody's going to convince someone to do it. I mean, already we see people sending in their DNA to to, to, uh, you know, test for their the history of their family yes, and sometimes ancestry. Yeah. Yeah. Ancestry. And sometimes to find out if there's anything wrong with them one way or the other, it's not that much of a stretch to think that people will do it in order to get, uh, to have marketers treat them well. So you mentioned too about earlier, you mentioned about being just saying, oh, I'll go ahead because they're resigned to it. Do they think that, oh, what's the worst that can happen? Or do they think, oh, I mean, what are their thoughts? That lead well, we've done a fair minute? amount of research on what, how control, how people feel about the control they have when it comes to marketers and the internet. Uh, and we find that Americans really feel they have very little control. Particularly we asked, we have two statements, agree, strongly, disagree, which we say if a person agrees with both of these statements, it means they resign, which means um, they they would love to control their information, but they really don't uh, think they have the ability to do that. And we put these statements in a whole variety of other statements. So then they're not right next to each other. One is something like, I'd like to to control the information that companies have about me. And the other is, um, I don't, you know, I, I've come to believe that I really don't have the ability to to control what companies know about me. And again, these are far apart. And we find that about 60% of Americans in two surveys, one with 58%, one with 63%, so around 60% of Americans are resigned to what's going on. Uh, it's not as if they think that and we have other information about this, that they don't believe in trade-offs. Marketers love to say, well, it's the trade-off. People give up their information because they want these rewards. A lot of Americans don't like the idea of trade-offs. They don't think it should happen, you know? They don't think that a company should take your data just because you're using public Wi-Fi. But they, uh, but they are, in a, as a, rather, they are resigned to the notion that it's really hard to navigate this world uh, and and it's somehow companies are going to get your information one way or the other. They try the best they can to get out of it, but it's just really tough. Wow, that's really interesting and and kind of sad at the same time. That yeah. you know, well, you've already robbed me. I mean, it it would be like if somebody you know mugged you and took all your bill your billfold, and then the next day they come back and try it again, and they're like, ah, go ahead and take it. Or, well, or that's what's happening. And, and yeah. people just figure they have no ability to change. It's like people say, gee, I'd love to be off Facebook, but all my friends are on there. I can't do much. Or mm. Instagram, you know. And uh, and so people just go ahead. Also, it's really complicated to understand this stuff. Uh, mm. You know, as you said, you read privacy policies. Most Americans have hardly come near a privacy policy. Mm-hmm. And uh if you tried to read it, you wouldn't understand most of it. Most people wouldn't understand most of it anyway because of the jargon and the links that they're, they're like rabbit holes. You click one thing to understand a word, it takes you to a whole variety of other places. Uh, and I've written a piece with a, 
uh, a former student of mine who's a professor at the University of New Hampshire, Nora Draper, where we argue that often companies do this as a strategy. Mm-hmm. Companies want people to feel like they have no other option but to give the data because not, they can't do very much about it. They have a vested interest in people being resigned rather than angry. Oh. If you're angry, you'll act on it. If yeah. you're resigned, you'll just try to do the best you can in your own regular life and you're not going to get organized. So that's where we are today. And are we giving a bad gift to future generations? My grandchildren, for example, mm-hmm. are they going to be even more resigned and more used to the notion that to get along in the 21st century, you have to give data? Well, and not only that, I mean, something that I have two sons uh, and, you know, is is what you're doing with giving out your data going to come back to impact them? You know, years ago when the Ancestry kits came out, I thought about doing it Mm -hmm. and uh, because I was curious what they asked me for and all. Well, my, both my sons were like, Mom, don't do that. And I thought, oh, good. They've learned from me about <laughs> learned about privacy. But then they followed that up with, I don't want my information to be revealed as a result right. of your actions. And I'm That's like, smart. That That's is really smart. smart. <laughs> it was like, so, yeah, just consider. And like you said, if, if people get angry, then now they're – possibly recorded with an angry voice and then they have a profile about funny that shows they're angry (laughs) yeah but if you get people angry on a governmental level maybe they would do something about it the yes the the fact is that governments are 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 really not doing a whole lot even europe which has a fundamental sees privacy as a fundamental right the GDPR is pretty flaccid. It, it just doesn't – companies have been learning how to get around it. Yeah. And uh, it's – and as I say, in China, they have tough laws, but the laws leak because the government can take all the data anyway. Um, it's, it's very complicated and very dispiriting sometimes to think about what to do. It is. But, you know, I guess I have some of my uh, longtime, you know, relatives and friends who don't work in in this industry that I'm in. And they're like, you know, what's the point? You know, I mean, uh, you know, why are you doing this when things are going to get worse? It's Hmm. like, well, maybe maybe something can be done to make things better. I mean, I I don't I agree with you. I mean, you can't just throw your hands up totally. Yeah. And I do believe people should learn. Uh, we'd, I find I teach a large lecture course every year about media. And I always ask the students, and they're usually freshmen, uh, some sophomores, did you take a course in high school about media? And almost everybody said no. And they, they know very little about what goes on behind the screen. They certainly know how to use their phones and their tablets and their computers. But if you ask them what goes on behind the screen, what's the business of all this? What, yeah. How does it have to do with information? They have no clue. No clue. Well, so we're raising a, a generation of people who are great at doing what marketers want, but are terrible at understanding what's going on. Exactly. Now, believe it or not, we're already at the end of our hour. I guess maybe what is, you know, like in a minute's time, what would you say is an important point that our audience should take away? Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I think that 
a number of things. One, we're moving into a biometric era with increasing personalization. Two, people have to be aware of this stuff. And three, they really have to begin to get out of a resignation mode if they are and talk to their uh, leaders, talk to their people they elect, make privacy a big deal, get angry and see how that works. Love it. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Joe. It's I really appreciate it. Today I've been thank you. Today I've been speaking with Dr. Joseph Turo, professor, researcher, and author of The Voice Catchers, How Marketers Listen In to Exploit Your Feelings, Your Privacy, and Your Wallet. Please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about this topic? Just let me know. And I will put a link to Dr. Turo's book in uh, the information about this show if you're interested in it. Now, do you have any other topics out there, listeners, that you suggest I should cover? Let me know that, too. Just get in touch with me using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. You can listen to my show at any time on any of your favorite uh, podcast apps or on the Voice America Business Channel website. And visit my YouTube channel, Privacy Professor. Until our next show, ask those you do business with. Ask those who are asking you for your data (laughs) what they want it for. What are they going to use it for? How are they protecting it? Be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe.